0: Hey there, it's uh, Gary Parrish. It's Wednesday, February 22nd. Welcome back to the ION College Basketball Podcast. I got Matt Norlander here with me and we got a lot to get to including... A preview of tonight's Duke-Syracuse game, a preview of tonight's Louisville-North Carolina game, and a preview of tonight's Minnesota-Maryland game. But I want to start with Wichita State. Greg Marshall's team won again last night, beat Evansville 109-83. So that's 11 straight wins. Shockers are 26-4. and They're 13th in Ken Palm, but they have a 40 RPI, and they only have one top 50 win and just two top 100 wins. According to Jerry Palm, CBS Sports, a bracketologist, right now, Without the automatic bid that comes with winning the Missouri Valley Conference tournament title, he thinks that uh, the Shockers would probably be left out of the NCAA's tournament. So Norlander, let me ask you this. Let's say that Wichita State goes 29-5, which would mean they would lose to presumably Illinois State in the NBC tournament title game. What would you do with a Wichita State team, if you're on the committee, that's 29-5 with a loss in the NBC tournament title game, and they finish uh, the season before Selection Sunday with one top 50 win and two top 100 wins. What do you do with Wichita State?
1: Fascinating team. And I remember last year, GP, I wrote, I think in mid-January, uh, last season that I, that uh, the 2015-2016 Wichita State team was going to present maybe the most curious Uh, and debatable at large case uh, that the committee's seen in a long, long time if they didn't get the automatic bid. And, well, certainly that ended up happening. What did the committee do? The committee paid attention to Sagarin and Ken Palm and respected the fact that Wichita State was highly ranked in those regards and effectively split the difference, put them in the field, but put them in Dayton, put them in the first four, and it was almost like, well, we're going to put them in. But that that inclusion did not corroborate with how highly Wichita State was ranked last year. Now we get this again. Wichita State is 27th in Sagarin. You said, what, 13th, GP? It in Ken Yes. Insane. They are 43rd in KPI, which the committee will also look heavily on. The lack of big wins is going to be interesting now. Let's remember that every season is its own individual entity and the committee does not and should not and will not look at past teams as means to include or seed. Uh, Some people reject that. I actually don't. Having gone through the process, you've gone through the mock process. It is such a dense process of scrubbing and re-scrubbing and looking at all these things I, I just I I outright reject the notion that if Wichita State gets into the field this season, it will be because of its of its uh, reputation, what it's done in previous years. That just is not part of the process. And you're looking at the data from this year and this year alone. Because they're ranked so high, it's going to be really intriguing. Um, now maybe Wichita State is going to be so good that they're going to cruise and they're going to blast into the field and get the auto bid, and this is off the table. Although Illinois State, if it doesn't lose again until the title game, Might have an interesting case, not quite as strong as Wichita State. But with what they've done, even though they don't have a lot of good wins, I would put them in the field. And right now, you know, all Palm does, Jerry Palm and all these, you know, Lunardi and all the people that forecast the bracket, they're merely trying to look in the moment at what the committee would do based on, you know, each bracketologist's view of what's happened in years past. It's not a projection of their own feelings. If I was making a bracket, and I was putting it together based on what I think should happen. I would probably have Wichita State as a as a nine right about now. And this is the one other thing uh, that I wanted to get to. I'm glad we started with this because I don't know if we'll if we'll get to this point in terms of seating and selection. But Ben Alomar, who works for ESPN, uh, he was part of the group that was invited with Jerry Palm, Ken Pomeroy, Jeff Sagarin. Kevin Paga, they all went to the NCAA like, you know, three weeks ago or whatever. And one suggestion that is being put forth to the NCAA, and I don't think this will, this will happen because I think it, it's it makes things even messier, is, okay, here's what you should do. You should include in the field the most deserving teams, the teams that scheduled ambitiously out of conference, th- that really put forth an effort. And this would also include a lot of major conference teams who you know, like in the ACC this year, if you wanted to schedule, schedule like garbage in November and December and rely on your league to up your strength of schedule overall and get big wins, you could totally do that, but you shouldn't. And the committee should not allow that because then it allows for bad scheduling in the first 25, 30% of the year. And the big conferences can take advantage of it. So there should be a check and balance. But if you want to do that and say, here are the most deserving teams, just get them into the field. You qualified, you barely got in. But once we have the at large pool, Then we're going to seed accordingly with who we think the best teams are. And for that, we're going to use Sagarin and we're going to use Pomeroy and we're going to use BPI, more predictive measurements, because those things are telling us by way of margin of victory, how good you really are. And right now, Wichita State rates as a top 15 team. So if you did that, yes, you could easily if you said, okay, listen, Wichita State barely qualifies as a deserving team, but now that they're in the field, well, we should seed them accordingly to make the fairest bracket possible. Let's put them as like a five seed. You know, that, that is the, that is one possible school of thought being pitched to the NCAA. I don't know if they'll go with that because it is hard to marry the fact that if Wichita State didn't have even two top 50 wins or one top 50 win, how could that possibly justify them being a five seed? Even if, some metrics suggested clearly they're on that level.
0: So let me back up just a little bit. Uh, you said that all Jerry Palm is trying to do, and I agree with you, is replicate what the selection committee would do. Is he wrong then? Because last year um, they, they put Wichita State in based on uh, Ken Palm. And they, yes. they, like, they weren't in on the resume. They could, and, they, and if they get in this year, if they need an at-large, they're not going to get in on the resume. One top 50 win, two top 100 wins, that's not going to get you in. But they put him in last year despite having a weak resume because of the kinPOM number. So here's my question for you. I understand, like, and I completely agree. All Jerry's trying to do is replicate what the committee would do. But does he have it wrong? Would the committee put Wichita State in right now? If they needed an at-large team, would Wichita State get one today?
1: I think they would. I do too. If gun to head, right now, we make the bracket, is Wichita State in? I think it is because that 13 that's a really high number. I mean, and based on what happened last year, and we talked about Wichita State's inclusion a lot last year. For listeners, just to give you a refresher, Wichita State was 26 and, and 9 overall, but entering the tournament, so it had eight losses entering, had defeated Utah out of league. That was a big win, actually. I remember that game. Um, but that was pretty much it. I'm looking at their schedule from last year, GP, and. It's, but here's where you get in there. They actually rated as the best defensive team in the country last year. But you cannot compare what Wichita State was last year to what it is this year when evaluating Wichita State because the field around it is very different. So it, I like looking at past years just to see what the committee has done overall. But on an individual basis, Parrish, you, you can't it doesn't add up like that. And you can get into some real trouble and real contradictory thoughts when you when you start to do that. But the fact is, Wichita State is only has four losses, it ranks higher, It, it actually it was 13th last year, it ended 13th in, in Palmory last year, and while tournament results don't validate or invalidate seeding, the committee did split the difference, and then Wichita State went into the into the tournament and, and nearly got to the Sweet 16 again, you know, in effect, kind of reinforcing how good that it actually was overall, but I would think that they would be in, uh, it wouldn't, if you made me pick where, uh, prob- I, I would probably say that they'd put them in Dayton again. I think they might first four them again because it's really hard for the committee to accept the fact that their non-league schedule just does not have a lot there and they've split with Illinois state, but damn, they've looked good and they are killing everybody. I mean, this is legitimately, it's, it's legitimately a top 25 team at this point in terms of ability, but not necessarily accomplishment.
0: Um, while recognizing that, yes, so one field is it doesn't equate to the next field or a field from five years ago. Everything's different, right? You're not competing against last year's field or next year's field. You're competing against this year's field. The truth is, um, as it relates specifically to Wichita State, it's like it doesn't matter. Like, whatever – based on resume, they wouldn't be in last year if you expanded the field to 75. Like, it, it, like it's – you know, they, they got in because of one specific reason, and that was because the – There were certain computers that loved them, and that would be the exact same reason this year. So that's why I think the comparison actually matches up pretty well. Like, are you going to put Wichita State in just because, um, no, they don't have the resume that you would put in under normal circumstances, but the the computers, the the ones that are uh, most heavily referenced, really, really like them and suggest that this is a legitimate ncaa tournament team Uh, the the committee did that last year that's that that's what it boiled down to whether they framed it that way or not that's what it came down to and if you were going to put them in this year um, it would come down to the exact same thing and so my thing is if if you're trying to replicate what the committee would do and we just watched what the committee would do last year like it, it suggests that they would do the same thing again this year and i know that what happened last year isn't supposed to matter And the fact that Greg Marshall's coaching the team isn't supposed to matter, and the fact that it's Wichita State that we've seen make runs in the NCAA tournament isn't supposed to matter. And I like when you're looking at the computer screens. I understand it doesn't. These are still humans making these decisions. They know. I understand. I know. They still know that it's in their head somewhere. Whether they whether they know it or not, they can sit there and deny to you, no, that we did not take Greg Marshall into account at all. We did not take. Last year's results or the 2013 Final Four into into consideration at all, and I and I'll believe them because I believe they believe that. But it, for the same reasons, when some when your buddy from down the street's fill him out a bracket, and he goes, "Ooh, you don't you you, you want to take Tom Izzo to go deep because it's Tom Izzo." That's in somebody's head somewhere, whether they know it or not.
1: Well, okay, so I would agree with that. Except here's how it can it can kind of eliminate itself because let's say Wichita State winds up getting you know one of the final two or three bids perish and in that cluster of teams that does not get in or barely gets in is let's just make make this hypothetical okay let's say northwestern goes on a skid ins northwestern and it's vcu and you could easily say oh well vcu's had tournament success and they didn't get in or northwestern would have been a great story and they could have gotten in, but they didn't get in. You you see what I'm saying? So, like, there are other factors with other teams that you could say. So I'm not saying that's the reason why. I'm just saying you can get into those situations with two or three teams, and you can easily frame it for or against why you would or would not put them in based on general human impression.
0: I I got you. Here's what I would say. Um, VCU doesn't resonate like Wichita State. And uh, beyond that, here's the other human factor. People don't like to be called stupid. Right? Like, people don't like that. It doesn't mean you cater to it, but you don't you don't enjoy it. And so, like, if, if Wichita State really plays this out the way we are hypothetically saying it could go down, in other words, win final regular season game, win two in, in, in St. Louis, then lose to Illinois State in the NBC title game and be sitting at 29-5 and five on Selection Sunday with a top 15 Ken Palm rating or even a top 20 Ken Palm rating. Like, let's say the Illinois State... Uh, law, law, hypothetical Illinois State loss in the tournament title game gets them, and they slip down to 18th in Ken whatever. If they're sitting there with 29-5, and top-20 Ken rating, and you don't put them in the field, everybody calls you stupid. Everybody says you don't know anything about basketball, you don't know what you're doing. Greg Marshall, who ain't shy, goes on television, calls you stupid. Like, the, the, uh, no committee member will ever admit that, well, yeah, we, we just, we recognize everybody would call us stupid if we left Wichita, but that's in your head somewhere. It just is. And I'm not saying it'll be the determining factor. I'm just saying this, 29-5 and on Selection Sunday with a top 20 Ken Palm rating, I think they're in. And I think the committee puts them in for what, for either the exact same reasons they did last year or different reasons, but I don't think they get left out.
1: Yeah, it's... It's going to be interesting, uh, and in the what, valley.
0: I, and here's what I would say, because we got into this debate—not a debate—we just got into a conversation last night on CBS Sports Network. So I was in studio with Dana Jacobson and Danny Granger and Wally Zerbiak. And first things first, when you talk to basketball players who like, like, they respect the selection process, but they also like roll their eyes at it, like, get out of my face with top 50 RPI wins. I couldn't care less. I watch these teams. Wichita State's good. Like, Wichita State's good. If you have an NCAA tournament without Wichita State, you're just being stupid. Like, when you talk to Granger and Zerbiak, and I come at, come at them with resumes, they just they look at me like I'm a nerd. You know, they're, they're like, dude, if you know what Yeah, but
1: uh, whatever. Like, I get that. But at the same time, there's a reason why we have and need all this data, because no, 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 you no, cannot like, rely no. on this I played the game thing. Like, there I, is some value in that. I know you're not fighting it. I'm just speaking in general. Like there's definitely some value in that and can and should be brought to a conversation and i would argue that the committee would be benefited by having one or two former players but you you just yeah continue that's yeah, you yeah, just can't no, rely that, on
0: that's not the point i was trying to make the point i was trying to make is that's that's where the conversation starts like get out of here with that i don't care anything about their resume all i know is i watch them play every week and they beat the crap out of everybody every time they play that's, a, that's one of the better teams in America, a legitimate top 25 team. If you're having an NCAA tournament, you should have them in. The other point that they make that I think is much more valid in the sense that it's something that you really should take under consideration, like even if you're going to disregard what former NBA All-Stars think of the quality of a basketball team from Wichita, this is something they say that I think makes some sense. If you look at the way their schedule has to break down, given that their league affiliation is with the Missouri Valley Conference— Um, the games that matter to them always happen early, always. And if you look at their, you know, right now they've played five top 50 games. And three of those came before Christmas. Two of them came in November. And when you are losing three of your top four scores from the previous team, Ron Baker, uh, Fred VanVleet, Anton Grady, Plus, Evan Wessel. You're spending November, December trying to figure things out. You're not who you're going to be. Like, Villanova can sort of be who it's going to be early because they, they're returning so many key pieces. Um, you know, like w- with Wichita State, like, if you're telling me what matters relative to their resume are mostly games that are played in November, December, and then I'm telling you they don't even know who they are in November, December because they just lost their their three-year starting point guard, uh, Ron Baker, Anton Grady, Evan Wessel. They just saw some important pieces. Like you, you, it's, just, it's fundamentally unfair to base their resume and, and, and thus their NCAA tournament at-large bid candidacy on stuff that happened in November, December, because they were trying to figure out what they were post-Baker, Van Vliet, Grady, and Wessel. And I do think there's something to that. Because uh, they can't get, if you're saying what matters is top 50 wins, top 100 wins, and then you're also saying you better get them in November, December, because you can't get them past that, uh, that seems fundamentally unfair. Because, like, if you put them in the Big 12, and, and it is true. They wouldn't be beating people like this in the Big 12, and they wouldn't be winning this many games in the Big 12. But TCU, I, I
1: think they'd be a top-five team in the Big 12 and would, would be unquestionably then in it the picture. Yeah. Which point. is hard to get into that, Parrish, like that hypothetical. But I have zero doubt that Wichita State this year is a top-five Big 12 team. Well, here's,
0: what, here's my point. TCU is a Big 12 team. And they have been able to play 10 top-55 RPI games so far. So far in their league. Forget their non-league. They got 10 at-bats, top 55 RPI opportunities in their league, and they've won two of them. They're 2-8 and eight against the top 55 of the RPI in the Big 12, and that's got them right on the bubble, right there with Wichita State. you telling me Wichita State couldn't do better than 2-8 and eight against the top 55 of the RPI in the Big 12?
1: Uh, and, well, first of all, Wichita State's 1-1 one and one against the Big 12 this season. Beat Oklahoma, lost to Oklahoma State. People that will go against Wichita State will also say, well, you had your crack at Louisville and Michigan State. You lost both of them. Michigan State wasn't, uh, wasn't even fully healthy. But you've addressed some of that. And this is why it is extremely important for the committee to hold accountable the major conference teams that have the ability, if they so choose, to schedule ambitiously and to reward them or punish them if they don't. Because the fact of the matter is, Wichita State has to rely on being dropped into... Uh, an exempt tournament in November to get its high conference opponents and then maybe it can get one school to play a quasi home and home a la Oklahoma. otherwise you're getting Tulsa, Long Beach State, Maryland Eastern Shore, Colorado State, St. Louis at the bottom of the A10. you're simply not allowed getting you're not getting the chances. And so it should not be, the committee has to realize, and I actually think that it does, and it's gotten better about this. The committee has to realize the real-life, real-world practical situation placed in front of Wichita State and what it could and could not schedule in November and December. Then look at how well it is played in its league in a top-10-rated league this season and, by the way, is smoking fools and highly rated in the computers. Look at all of that. You can punish them for lack of top-50 wins if you want. But at this point, you really cannot say that Wichita State is not one of the 36 best at largest because it would be one of the 20 best at large candidates without question. So it will be interesting. Uh, one bad loss, and this could, but you know, Missouri State is their last game on Saturday. It's on the road. Got to win that game. Should win that game. If you lose it, uh, unfortunately, I think it will be detrimental enough that you'd have to win the Valley Conference title because if you took another loss... I, I think that that would spell doom. It's, but I'm glad you brought it up because it's two years in a row here with this program that's really good, and it's just it's skating on thin ice. I'll
0: bottom line it like this: if you were to leave them out, if they needed an at-large bid, what you would essentially be telling them is you're being left out of the NCAA tournament based on little more than league affiliation and the fact that you didn't win your top 50 opportunities in November. When you were still trying to figure out how to play without three of your top four scores from last season, including your three-year starting point guard and your three-year starting two guard, both of whom are in the NBA, that seems insane to me. And so I understand, as well as anybody, um, like resumes and uh, the quality, the need for quality wins, and all that stuff. But I do think common sense has to prevail at some point, and there is nothing. When you invoke common sense into the discussion, there is no way you can conclude that Wichita State, if it needs an at-large bid, uh, shouldn't get an at-large bid. Let me tell you about SeatGeek. Buying tickets online for sports and concerts has been a confusing process for a long time. It's always been hard to find the best deal for that game or concert, or show that you want to attend, and none of the older ticket sites seem to want to change that. Uh, But then SeatGeek came along, and SeatGeek is different. They've created an amazing app and website that makes it easier uh, uh, than ever for fans to uh, buy and sell uh, tickets, and they take a lot of the work out of it as well. In other words, once upon a time, you never knew um, if you're getting the best deal, you never knew which site to go to, you never knew if you bought a ticket over here, or you going to be able to get a better price over there, and then uh, Seeky came along, and they took all of that out of it. Very easy site to, lo- uh, to use. They handle price comparison for you. They search multiple ticket sites to ensure you get the best possible deal. In fact, we got a tweet from a guy named Pete yesterday, right? And he said you weren't, I'm quoting him. This is this is customer satisfaction, Orlando. He said you weren't joking about SeatGeek. Easy to use, looking for seats. He was looking for seats for the Purdue at Northwestern game, which is gonna be on CBS. He points out that's the network of stars. That's America's most watched network. Shouts to Pete, shouts to Devin Downey, shouts to Terry Teagle. Shouts to Devin Downey again. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. SeatGeek is on uh, uh, the web at seatgeek.com. There's a SeatGeek app. If you haven't downloaded it yet, you should. Then you're going to purchase tickets. Use the promo code CollegeBB, and SeatGeek's going to send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. That's $20 after you made your first ticket purchase. Again, the promo code is CollegeBB. So go download the SeatGeek app, purchase tickets to whatever you're tickets to, and uh, then use the promo code CollegeBB, and SeatGeek's going to send you $20. Bucks after you've made your first ticket purchase. That's SeatGeek, millions of tickets in one place. So, not only did Wichita State win last night, Norlander, Kentucky won again. Struggled a little bit at Missouri, but won again. Florida won again, so sets up a massive game on Saturday. Also on CBS, also on America's Most Watched Network, also on the Network of Stars. Kentucky and Florida, I believe it's a two-eastern tip Both are 13-2 in the SEC, and while I know nothing is guaranteed, uh, if you look at their schedules for next week, in other words, after Saturday they'll both have two regular season games left, Uh, neither is projected to lose next week. They should both win their final two regular season SEC games. What that means is that Saturday inside Rupp Arena uh, looks like it would be for the SEC regular season title. Either John Calipari wins his fifth or Michael White wins his first. That's a big-time game, huh?
1: Huge game. Florida's won nine in a row, is averaging uh, a 20-point vic- uh, margin of victory in those nine games, and right now looks like the best team in the SEC. That includes a 22-point home win over the Wildcats. Of course, no one goes into the Odom and walks out with the victory. We, we're aware years, of that most been times, that
0: for years.
1: without a doubt. the Florida's an interesting team because it doesn't have a star, wasn't projected highly in the preseason. Mike White's just getting started there, and so... You know Casey Hill, Kevon Allen, Canyon Barry, they lost John Agbunu for the year, their most you know necessary backline defender, and yet they still haven't had any issues. They put up 81 on South Carolina, a really good defensive team. I, I think this is the best team in the SEC right now. We'll be very interested to see how they play against Kentucky with the league title on the line. Mike White is essentially a year ahead of schedule. Last time, Florida won nine in a row. Billy Donovan was on the sidelines. Florida won the league and got a one seed in the process. Florida will have a chance at a two if it can sweep Kentucky, which is a tall task, and I'm not, I am not—I don't think that they'll win. But right now, with how Florida's playing, you saw Kentucky was not itself completely uh, against Missouri. I mean, I, road games can be tough. I get that, but Missouri's bad, so bad. And Kentucky just put on a C performance, basically. So at this point... I would power rank the SEC as Florida one, Kentucky two, South Carolina three, and South Carolina's is, their hold on three is is barely there because they've lost three straight, four out of five. But good on the Gators. I understand a lot of people haven't seen a ton of this team and might be skeptical about how good they are. They are ranked fourth in Ken Palm, which is kind of bonkers. They're 23 and five overall. Actually, did play Gonzaga pretty well. Back in November in Orlando, I watched that game. They only lost by five, so uh, a legit team. But as I wrote on Tuesday night, uh, you know Florida's unconditional moment of arrival and acceptance in terms of their placement of the college basketball hierarchy this season will come if they can win at Kentucky. And even then, it will still be more about Kentucky losing than Florida winning. But if the Gators can win at Rupp, then you at least seriously consider them as a final four team going forward, because they will have certainly earned it to that point.
0: Florida's good. I think Kentucky, if I were power ranking the sec, I would go Kentucky one, Florida two, but um, I don't mean that as any uh, discredit to, to what Mike's done uh, down in Gainesville. Like replacing a legend is not easy. And uh, he's done it about so far about as well as you could possibly expect to do it. Uh, He's got this team right now playing on Saturday uh, for an SC, for what should be an SEC regular season title, you would think that either way, if you win Saturday, whoever wins Saturday is going to be guaranteed at least a share of the SEC regular season title because right. you ain't losing twice in the final week. So um, you know, yeah, I mean, the, basically, you win this game on Saturday, you're getting an SEC title, whether you win it outright or share it, we'll get to see. But if you can win this on Saturday, you get an outright, uh, you get an, you get at least a part of an SEC title. You're basically guaranteed that. Um, I think Kentucky is going to win. Uh, for the same reasons that Florida won the first one. Uh, Kentucky's at home this time. Florida was at home last time. So I do think Kentucky um, heads into the final week of the regular season with a one-game lead uh, on Florida in the SEC. But still, these are uh, you know, two teams, I think, uh, that have got an opportunity to advance to the second weekend of the NCAA tournament. I believe Kentucky's ceiling is higher for the obvious reasons that we've talked about a million times. You know, They've got probably three You know, top 20, top 25 picks in the upcoming NBA draft. De'Aaron Fox, Malik Monk, Bam Adebayo. When you've got that, you've got a chance. I don't know that Florida has anything close to that, but that's a good college basketball team. And uh, if they both end up in the Sweet 16, Elite 8, maybe even Final 4, it wouldn't be the craziest thing in the world to me. Again, that tip-off is 2 o'clock Eastern Saturday. It's on America's Most Watched Network. That's the network of stars, CBS. Brad, uh, boy, I almost called you Brad Carson, my radio producer.
1: <laughs> it's all good, man. Just roll with it.
0: Uh, um, tonight, we got a handful of interesting games. Let's start with Duke-Syracuse, 7 o'clock Eastern tip. It's on ESPN, a, 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 a network that has stars, but not the network of stars. Duke is a four-point favorite in the Carrier Dome. What are you doing with this game, Norlander?
1: I'm watching it. That's what I'm doing with it. Yeah,
0: but I'm saying if you've got to put your hard-earned cash, are you laying the four points, or you taking Syracuse plus the points at home?
1: Duke has won what seven in a row? GP, rolling. in fairness
0: fairness to Mike, I sort of rolled my eyes, and I think you did too, about him taking all their stuff. But like, they haven't lost since he took their stuff. I know.
1: (laughs) That's legit. That's a legitimate point, Parrish.
0: <laughs> maybe that. Maybe I. Should, maybe I should learn a lesson. Stop questioning Hall of Fame coaches.
1: Hey, listen. You know what? When we're wrong, we will cop to it. And we definitely thought that that move was stupid and lame and trite and played out. But since Mike Krzyzewski told the Duke players that they were not allowed to wear Duke gear or go into the locker room, they have not lost a game since. Apparently, it worked. Uh, I think Syracuse is going to win this game. Although Syracuse, I would put on the super short list like top three most unpredictable teams there are. Just a weird group. Their tournament profile is so bizarre. Um, Lost three straight. Need this win because they got Louisville on the road. They're not winning that game on Sunday. Should finish up with a home win over Georgia Tech, you would think. Give me cues. Give me cues. Let's say... 80 to 76 here the the dome comes alive that building is massive but it can be really tremendous when you've got a big game that will be a big game duke duke's winning streak comes to an end the orange get the win on Wednesday night
0: I've been to a duke Syracuse game at the dome and it was uh, terrific it was a controversial game but I can't remember why I feel like Rodney Hood was involved for some reason do you remember that at all
1: um. No, the the only controversial Duke Syracuse game I vividly remember is the Beheim jacket game, but that was at Cameron. But uh, I was at that. Yeah, one too. I know what you're saying. Like this is this is now flickering something in my brain. Feels like but there I was a remember.
0: there was a dunk and then or maybe a non goaltend, or a, a, goaltend or a block call charge. Something. It was something controversial.
1: Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I like
0: right. Rod- I, I, I can see Roddy Hood. I can see controversy but I don't really remember the details. But I was in the Carrier Dome for that, and I remember it being a, 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 a really fun game. And then um, I was at the Jim Bayham jacket game to, uh, as well. So there's a, it's funny. These aren't like long-time uh, you know, league rivals, obviously. Syracuse was in the Big East for all those years. But it's turned into a nice little like circuit on the calendar matchup. You, know, you get two Hall of Fame coaches who have obviously worked together uh, with USA Basketball. Two tremendous fan bases, two big brands in college basketball. It's a fun game. So Duke at Syracuse tonight. I'll go Duke 76, Syracuse 69. I'll go Duke to to win the game on the road, cover the number. Uh, But remember, as always, uh, I I lose more bets than I I get right. Another game that's interesting, uh, Minnesota at Maryland. Two teams that uh, project to go to the NCAA tournament. The Big Ten's interesting because... I think Jerry Palm right now has got seven Big Ten teams in the field, which is fine. I'm not disagreeing, but it's like seven in the field. How many do you trust to get to the Sweet Sixteen? Like it could be seven. Ah,
1: uh, jeez, in- man. Trust?
0: I mean, like you would put you would like. I mean, obviously Purdue can do it. Wisconsin, Wisconsin do and it.
1: Purdue would be the only two teams I trust. Yeah,
0: I mean, any of them could do it by Maryland definition. Maryland can
1: do it, but yeah, it would very much be a matchup thing with me.
0: With I, yeah, I think I think it's going to be a, come down to a matchup thing with a lot of those Big Ten teams. But it wouldn't surprise me if we look up. Big Ten gets seven teams in the NCAA tournament. Richard Pitino goes for the first time. Northwestern goes for the first time. Uh, Mello goes for the third straight time. And then you look up in the Sweet 16, and it's like, oh, wow. They had seven when this thing started. Now they only got one left. Like, that wouldn't surprise me at all. Yeah. Maryland, Minnesota. Let's see the number on that, Norlander, so we can get an official gambling prediction. Uh, Maryland, I, Maryland minus four at home.
1: I like Maryland there. Number's
0: too small, uh, Norlander. I think that number's too small.
1: Yeah, (laughs) I think you're right. Minnesota has been able to bounce back. They have uh, gone five. They dropped five. They've won five and revived their season. Win here, uh, I can't say lock because I define lock as you can literally lose every other game left on your schedule and still unquestionably be in the NCAA tournament. If Minnesota won, then fell at home to Penn State, lost at home to Nebraska lost at Wisconsin and lost his first big time game, they probably wouldn't be in. So a win doesn't lock Minnesota in. It goes a massively long way, though, if you can win at Maryland. Don't think that's going to happen, though. I'll have the Terps. I got the Terps sizably. Give me me Maryland to dodge the close game that it uh, has frequently played this season, although not as of late. And I will say Maryland rebounds well from its uh, mediocre performance against Wisconsin to beat Minnesota uh, give me Maryland 7763 i think this is going to be a comfortable Ooh,
0: i think Maryland yeah. wins by single digits but does cover a 4 point spread so uh, give me Maryland i don't know uh, 76 to 70 something like that maryland covers the four wins by single uh, digits and uh, continues to be uh, reasonably ranked in the AP Top 25 poll, I've got him in the top 25, and one also, by the way, Maryland fans. I didn't have him there for a while. You asked me why every single day, um, but uh, listen, their resume is good enough now. Uh, Melo has been awesome. Um, I, I updating the Player of the Year rankings again today. I put him back in the top 10. Like what he means to that team is just invaluable. You could argue he's 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 as important, or just about as important uh, to his team as anybody else in America is. Uh, to their team. He's been tremendous. And so, uh, yeah, I think Maryland wins uh, comfortably, but still in the single-digit range, but covers the four points. Last game, I want to touch on before we get out of here. And this is probably the big one. It's a top 10 matchup. Uh, 9 o'clock Eastern tip. Louisville at North Carolina. Cardinals are ranked 7th. They're 10-4 and four in the ACC. Carolina ranked 8th, 11-3 and three in the ACC. Uh, North Carolina laying six points, Norlander. Make your official
1: prediction. I've already made my official prediction on the record. I just got to look and see what it was. Sent it to Jeff Greer. Does a great job covering the Cardinals for the Courier-Journal. Here's what I said. Tar Heels get a good game, but keep the cards at arm's length through most of the game, and in doing so, firm up their status alongside Kansas as the national front runners to win the title as we head into March. And I've got Carolina winning 76-68. to 68.
0: Oh, so you got Carolina covering. I've got Carolina 77 74. So I think Carolina wins the game. They're not going to lose. I don't think they're going to lose in the Dean Smith Center, but Louisville's good enough to uh, to keep it close. So I would say Louisville covers the plus six, but doesn't win the game.
1: I'm seeing if anyone that he asked picked. Yeah, Myron Metcalf at ESPN has Louisville by one. He has to. Uh, Kyle Boone has Louisville. Our own Kyle Boone at CBS Sports has Louisville 77 74. Shout out to Kyle Boone and Drew Diener. I think he's a local dude, has Louisville. Mark Ennis, who's a Cardinal fanboy. You're cool, Mark. I'm just kidding. Uh, has uh, Louisville winning, but yeah, most of these <laughs> It are... is
0: funny when you... Because, like, Kyle Tucker will do these things. Jeff Greer will do these things. And it's so, like, when you look at them, particularly when it comes down to, like, a Louisville-Kentucky game, it's like all the dudes who work for the Kentucky sites pick Kentucky and all the dudes who pick, work for the Louisville site pick Louisville. It's like they almost never go against their own thing. Even when it's, like... Like, there, there's no reason to pick the other team if they're affiliated with that team like they so often do. It's hilarious. Yeah, Jody
1: Demling, Cardinal Authority. Jody does a good job, but he's got Louisville winning. But, yeah, this is like <laughs> See, 90... that's what
0: I'm talking about. I like Jody, but, like, that's what I'm talking
1: about. <laughs> yeah, this is like <laughs> 90% Carolina. I would love to get a really good game here. And it is cool that uh, I think this is the first time – maybe I missed it, but I think this is the first time the four Hall of Famers are coaching against each other on the same night How about uh, that? in that league. So that's pretty cool. Um, and, yeah, I just – Carolina at home, I actually think it will be a good, watchable game. I just don't get the sense that Louisville will be threatening for the final six or seven minutes, and Carolina will just uh, have them at arm's length. I will, I will tag it with this, GP. If Louisville does win, I get the sense that people just—similar to Florida, there's no outstanding star. They win with a lot of defense. Um, but despite having a Hall of Fame coach, I don't think that people would rank Louisville among their top seven or eight most likely national champion picks at this point. I think a win at Carolina drastically changes their impression on a national level, even though I personally think that Louisville is a clear-cut top-ten team right now. Let's see how they do, but I do think Carolina wins this with a little bit of ease.
0: By the way, I uh, listen, nothing will be decided tonight, but the Louisville, North Carolina, because as much as I have talked about Baylor and loved Baylor all year long, I don't actually think Baylor will be a number-one seed on Selection Sunday. I think based on resume, strictly on resume— They should be today at this moment. But ultimately, they're probably going to lose to Kansas again uh, in the Big 12 tournament or somebody else in the Big 12 tournament, which is certainly possible. I I think they're going to end up a two seed, maybe even a three. I don't think they'll be the one. I think the ones are going to be Gonzaga, Villanova, Kansas. And I think that's almost locked in, those three. Gonzaga, Villanova, Kansas. And the fourth number one, I believe is either going to come from the Pac-12 or the ACC. My point being this, the winner of tonight's game could have an inside track to that thing. Uh, Louisville, yeah. North Carolina, because they're both in play for a one seed. And if you told me right now, whoever wins this game tonight, uh, you look up on Section Sunday, and that is the the fourth number one seed, it wouldn't surprise me at all. So it's a big, big game in the ACC. Again, tip-off is at 9 Eastern. And remember, you can subscribe to the Island College Basketball Podcast on iTunes. That is the best way to... Uh, get the latest episodes as quickly as possible. So please do that. Thank you all for listening and for like tweeting and emailing us and giving us suggestions or asking us questions. I know we don't always get to them, uh, but we do always uh, appreciate them, even if we did turn around and just flat ignore them. <laughs> we'll talk to you again on Friday. Till then, take care.